Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Good morning, Ville Church. How y'all doing? Y'all doing howling good? How y'all like? I know I always feel the tension when I bring this up. We haven't howled in a long time. You know that, right? Oh, you act like y'all miss it. We're going to howl really, really quick, all right? Y'all ready? On count of three. One, two, three. <sighs> For people who are visiting, that's how we relieve tension around here. We just howl, all right? You know what I'm saying? You just got to get it out and get crazy sometimes. Um, Let's jump into this word this morning. Um, if you're new here, I'm Pastor Jay Harris. I'm, we're happy to have you here this morning. We, as Pastor Rodney was just talking about, we are going through the book of James, verse by verse, just exegeting, digging in the text. And, um, and I'm excited about it. There's good news inside of this text. And so this morning, I hope to encourage you in your faith and lift up Jesus high. So go to James 2, and we're going to be working through verses 14 through 26. We're going through verse 14 through 26. I'm going to give you a warning on the front end with this scripture, all right? James, the brother of Jesus, is giving some really hard, like Pastor Rodney just said, he's giving some very hard one-liners, right? Like, it's one of those things where, like, when you hear, um, you, you know, when he's saying, be hearers of the word, um, you know, don't be hearers of the word and, and not be doers, right? He's saying, don't just be hearers, but be doers also. Can y'all hear me Okay. I feel like I'm on like a roller coaster some up here or whatever. Can y'all hear me? All right. Y'all got me in the back? I think that's a little bit better. All right. Awesome. Okay. All right. And so you, you, get, you get caught in this thing. If you're reading the text, like if you're not holding on to like the cross and the good news of the cross and the freedom to like not be perfect, that like knowing that God actually, that Jesus actually lived a perfect life in your place, when you read it, you can kind of just like when you hear it, you can go, God, man, I need to get my stuff together. Any of y'all ever walk around feeling like I need to get my stuff together? Don't lie. Yo, I got two hands in the room. None of y'all like wake up in the morning like, man, I'm the worst, yo. Like, you know what I'm saying? Y'all never feel that? And so we have this freedom where like we actually like our sins are removed from us, right? Condemnation doesn't have power anymore, but that's the enemy's tactic to kind of thrust condemnation on us. And this is one of those texts where James is talking to the brothers and sisters of Christ, people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and they really esteem what God says, right? Like they want to know what truth is. When we're lost, we don't care what truth is. We make truth be whatever works for us or whatever, but they esteem what truth is. And so he's giving them some, he's dropping some jewels on them, and he's giving them some truth. And we're going to preach through this this morning. I feel like, you know, when I'm reading this, I'm reading one of his sermons. But I want to make sure our hearts are ready to actually receive this in light of being believers who are actually free from having to achieve perfection and acceptance by being, per by being perfect. Are you all with me so far? All right. I know Satan has the booby trap set up. As soon as I start preaching, he's going to be in your ear like, you suck. I know what you did last summer. Like, you know what I'm saying? You know, all of that stuff. All right, verse 14, we're going to jump into it. Huge question. He says, what good is it, my brothers, he's talking to the brothers and sisters of Christ in the body. He says, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? It's a huge question, right? James is 
warring against this idea that's prevalent in the church and with believers back in those days, and it's prevalent right now today. He's warring against this thing about this declaration of faith that actually lacks deeds. I don't know about you, when I hear that, I'm automatically like, okay, they need to get their deeds game up, right? You start thinking about work, you think about earning. Like he sounds like he's saying, like, oh, you all talk, but you're not earning, you know what I'm saying? That's what it sounds like. So I, I want you to hold on to that dynamic so we can make sure we knock that off as we work through this, right? But what is he actually saying here? The, at the, this question at the end is very, very important because the, a lot of the work on this text, a lot of the words that we're going to, one of the words we're going to be pushing on is the word works is going to pop up all the time. But the question that he's, what he's actually questioning is the person's faith. He says, can that faith save him? Right? He doesn't say, can that person's work save them? He says, can that faith save him? He's talking about a particular faith that is being proclaimed that is divorced from any fruit. All right? Y'all with me so far? It gets kind of theological, so y'all got to keep up with me or whatever and stuff. And like, I ain't the sharpest, you know, you know, knife in the, in the, in the drawer anyway. So y'all got to keep up with me, all right? The word can here comes from a group word, uh, from a Greek word, dunamai, and I'm probably messing it up. It looks like it's pronounced dunamai, but y'all just work with me, all right? All my Greek scholars, y'all just send me an email or whatever like y'all do, all right? But it talks about this, like, and if you know the word dunamis, whatever, in Greek, which means power or whatever, um, it, it's a question of what he's essentially saying is, does this type of faith have any power? Y'all with me? I want to make sure you understand the question he's asking. When he says, can that faith save him? He's saying, does the type of faith that this person is declaring, does it actually have any power? power? Is it actually like that solar power kind of power, like powered by the sun, right? By Jesus Christ, like the, the, the salvation power in Jesus Christ. Is it that kind of faith this person is declaring, or is it some kind of strange thing going on over here? That's what he's questioning, the faith. It's extremely important. The pre-conversion faith that is void of works that Paul talked about in Romans 3, verse 28, he says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So that pre-conversion faith that is void of works that Paul talked about now produces works or bears fruit on the side of post-salvation. So a lot of times you see people, they're having this conversation, they're like, they're like, yo, James just said, faith without works is dead. And they're like, Paul said, you know, it's faith alone, right? We're talking about the Reformation. We're like, we're like, yo, that's, it's faith alone. Five solas, that's one of the solas, faith alone. So are they contradicting each other? But what, what, what Paul was dealing with were a bunch of people that were a bunch of gospel peddlers and everything else or whatever, and they were actually coming on the people. You had super apostles, and you had all of these people that were distorting the faith, and they were like, you got to earn it, baby. You know what I'm saying? They're like, yo, you ain't sharp enough to walk with Jesus. You ain't clean enough to walk with Jesus. Like, we know what you did last summer. Like, it was, a, it was this, they were trying to say that you become a Christian based on their works, right? They were making a distinction so they could walk around and be elitist, be classist, make all of these divisions and be like, I got my stuff together, right? And you're not adding up. They wanted to make these measurements and close up the wide windows of heaven, right? And make it where it's like, nah, only the cute ones come in here, right? Paul was, he wasn't with it. He's like, that's not true. And Paul is like, no, it's by faith alone. 
this faith that is gift, gifted to us, right, that God in his, in his sovereignty and his bigness, he elects and brings in whoever he wants to, right? That's his power. Like if you're in the room today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it had nothing to do with you. God moved on your heart. It's not this thing where like we become good one day and we're like, oh, I'm just going to follow Jesus and do the right thing. If it was like that, then that's, a little, then that's one of those things that James would be questioning like, I don't know. I don't know if that's that faith, right? Because when we look inside of the word, we see that it's, it's declared that we are saved by grace, not by any works of our own. Y'all with me so far? This is a very important conversation because we're looking 2,000 years later, but we got a big problem because a lot of people never heeded any of this stuff. It never became important to them, so we're still having the conversation today, right? We still have church that preaches, that preaches like, you got to earn it, you got to earn it, you got to earn it, and that's not the gospel at all. It's completely anti-gospel. You understand where I'm coming from? Like, we wouldn't be praising Jesus if we could earn it right? We worship Jesus because of what he's actually done. He saved us out of the trenches of death where there is no hope, and he has shown a light in our darkness. That's why we praise him. You get where I'm coming from? Y'all with me? That's good news. Come on now. So it's a big deal because somebody didn't heed it. Somebody didn't go to war about that, right? And then on the flip side, James is now here, and he's like, now we got people who, they can rattle off the faith, they could declare the faith, but something's funny with them, right? Like their fruit looks funny. You understand what I mean? Like they, they don't feel right. And that's what he's questioning. He's, war he's warning his brothers and sisters. He says, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save them? Save them. That what is in question is their faith, right? It's important that we understand that. We are judged righteous in the sight of God purely on the basis of our faith. The atoning sacrifice of Christ leads to righteousness being imputed to us as sinners through a legal declaration by God. So when Jesus died on the cross, right? When he died on the cross, when, when God revealed himself to us and he revealed Jesus to us, what he was doing was doing a transfer. Our, our, all our deep, dark secrets, all our sins, all the stuff that we mess up all the time, we were getting a resume, we, we, our resumes were getting switched. If you've been in here long enough, you've heard me say this before. Our filthy resume was getting put on Jesus. He was being, he was being, he was being um, judged and, and he was being punished for our sin and he died and then he resurrected to show his power over death. On the flip side, me and you, we was getting our whole, our whole credit score. You know, so you know when your credit score jacked up and people are like, yo, I can clean that thing off. And you're like, look, I don't believe you can do it, but my stuff is messed up. I want to give a house, get a house, I'm going to give you $200. And they come back and you're like, yo, everything is gone. That hospital bill from when I was eight years old is not on my, on my, my Equifax anymore. You get where I'm coming from? And like, that's what Christ was doing with this. Like, that's what God was doing through Christ. He was actually just cleaning the whole deal up, like giving you like a 1,200 credit score. I don't even know if that's possible. Right? But like it's that good. It's beyond comprehension. That's what he was doing. He's cleaning it off. He's justifying us because of his work, a free gift he was giving us. But the thing is this right here that justification, what follows it is sanctification. Two separate things. Automatically justified because of what Christ has done on the cross. It's a gift to you. 
What do you mean, God? I'm still, I'm still struggling with some stuff. I'm still jacked up out here, whatever. Listen, this ain't about you. This is about me. Boom. You get where I'm coming from? Promise is there. Holy Spirit is going to walk with you day by day. We stumble and we look crazy when we're trying to get it together, but we all know as a church ain't none of us perfect. We know that, right? We got some mess we're still dealing with sometimes, right? And the reason we preach the gospel and we make it big in the room because staying connected to the vine is our only hope. Not even working on the mess is the proper response. You understand what I'm saying? Working on believing the gospel more is what heals us and actually bears fruit out of us. You understand? Jesus is everything in it. The cross is everything in it. But there is this thing, that thing that is happening to us as we gaze upon Christ and the cross and the free gift that he has given, that God has given us through his son Jesus, that's that sanctification. These tensions it puts us in in our relationships in the room, right? Where it's hard. We come from different cultures. We got different things going on. And then we try to roll with each other and everything. And it's like you start to see your sin, right? You start to see your classism, your racism, your, uh, your temperament, your lack of patience. And God actually calls this a good thing for us to be in those tensions. And the reason it's a good thing is because we don't have to win those things. So we don't have to run away from them to try to go be winners. We've already won through Jesus so we can sit in them and let God do his Holy Spirit work to sanctify us and, and bring unity and community in the side of us. Y'all with me so far? It's a sanctification going on. And so I think it's reasonable to say when he says, can that faith save him? He's basically questioning like, man, they got all the talk. But it doesn't look like the fruit that comes out of sanctification is evident in their life. That's what James is pushing on in this text. Matthew 7, 15 through 20 says this. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. James is essentially saying the same thing. He's saying... The faith talk sounds really good, but your fruit is real awkward and real weird or it's coming out dead. You understand what I'm talking about? And that's what he's telling his people like, yo, why, don't let people walk up to you and just like, because they can rattle 15 scriptures off the top of the head that you're like, oh yeah, they down. You get where I'm coming from? He's like, yo, they, like, don't, don't fall for it, right? We see this all the time. Like, he's like, don't fall for it. Like just come, somebody can spit out theology real crazy and go off their head, it doesn't mean that they are one of the Lord's, right? And I'm gonna prove it to you as I keep going forward. I wanna bring up something that Pastor Rodney preached the other week as we play with this idea, right? He talked about the thief on the cross. And one of the things he pointed out, and, I, and, I, and the reason I wanna tell you, I, I wanna give you this example is because I, I wanna shine the light on the legitimacy of James' question that he's asking, right? Pastor Rodney talked about the thief on the cross. We all know the story of the thief on the cross. He's hanging next to Jesus. His homeboy's on the other side. You know, Jesus is there, whatever. And his friend is mocking Jesus like, I thought you were the king, man. Like, look at you. You up here just like us or whatever. Like, and, and, and the thief on the cross 
which in a lot of ways is me and you, right? The thief on the cross is like, what are you doing here? Like, we deserve to actually be up here, right? Like, we are, we are wretched sinners. We, we, we always knew our life was headed this way, right? We, we pillaged, we've lied, stole, we've done what we want to. This is, a, this is a just death right here. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me. He's basically looking at Jesus and he's asking Jesus for mercy. And Jesus says, today you're going to roll with me in paradise. If that moment is not a picture of God's grace and mercy and free gift outside of our works, I don't know what is, right? The thief had no time to do any works. Y'all with me? Some of, some of us in this room right now, we probably carry this burden where we feel like we are never quite making it there. We're never quite good enough, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to raise mine. I deal with that sometimes. I just feel like I just never add up. It, it, it just, it just, I'm doomed to that. The only thing that frees me out of it is the gospel. It's like, like this, this story right here is a great reminder. I actually put it to use all the time about the thief on the cross because I'm like, hey, today you will join me in paradise. Resume is filthy. Filthy. He, he didn't have time to walk Christian, act Christian, none of that stuff that we always classify like, are they the real deal? So we're not talking about exterior kind of foolishness when James is asking this question. And I, and, and, and I want to prove it to you this way, right? Let's say the story went this way. Let's say that the exact experience that the thief on the cross happened and went through, but somehow God in his power let the thief come up off of the cross, right? Come up off of the cross and go on to live his life. But he actually had that experience where he actually asked God for mercy, and God not only gave him mercy and said, you're one of mine, welcome into the kingdom, but he also said, you know what, I'm actually spare your life. Now let's say you run across the thief on the cross. And let's say the way he carries his walk is like this right here. You know about what happened to him, but he's always busy trying to be good enough to be accepted by God. It'd be a little suspicious, wouldn't it? Based on the interaction of what we know happened on the cross, we would be really suspicious of that kind of fruit. Like he may actually be doing a whole lot of things that are even helpful and even good things and that people in society would even celebrate, but we'd be suspicious if his position is that he is actually earning his way into heaven especially after he's hung on the cross next to Jesus with no resume, and Jesus says, mercy's yours. Right? We'd be suspicious, am I right? It'd be crazy. It'd be crazy. But what if he actually went back and he actually went on full rebellious mode, back to moving and grooving how he was, right? And it's, here's the thing. That's true for a lot of believers in their sanctification process, right? So I'm not talking about like, oh, didn't, you didn't whip up or whatever. But what if like he, 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 he boasted the experience but had nothing in his heart that seemed like the mercy received was coming back out of him, right? It didn't show up in any way, shape, or form. 
we would be suspicious. You get where I'm coming from? I'm just saying that to say that it's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate question. And here's the thing. James is not asking for, the, for them to start walking around and being judgmental on everybody else. He's trying to just warn them. Like, just be careful, right? Be careful of this in your heart. Be careful of who you let actually jump up and, like, lead you in this thing because they can walk and they can, because, excuse me, because they can talk it really, really well, right? He's looking to protect the church, to protect the, the purity of the gospel, and he's giving them the signs to see, right? Verse 15, he says this. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, this is his example he gives. He says, if they're lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And in 17, he says, so also faith by itself if it does not have works, it's dead. So he's, he's, he's working out that suspicion again, right? He, he's that, that, that warning to keep your eye on this thing. He's telling you to watch for this thing. Watch for it. Keep your eye on it. And his examples that he gives are in line with the commandments. And I want to show you this really, really quick. In Matthew 22, Jesus says this, right? It's verse 36. He says, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, um, they said to Jesus, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Then he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So in verses 21 through 23, he's talking about Abraham. Abraham falls in line with this loving God with all your heart. He uses these two examples that actually bring you into this thing of the two great commandments, right? Verse 20, I'm going to read the part about Abraham in verse 21. It says this. It says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his work. And the, scriptures, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by, is a, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He's talking about works, but once again, the question is about the faith. What kind of faith did that person actually come into? And this falls in line with the commandments because with Abraham, there was, this, there was this vertical relationship he had with God. Abraham esteemed God so much that despite what, what, what logic seemed like, he actually went to go sacrifice his son because he truly felt that's what God was doing and God was testing him, right? But in his, in his obedience in this, God is like, he believes in me for real. He's righteous. He gives him righteousness. He's like, yo, he's, he's righteous, right? And he's not glorifying Abraham in that he's truly glorifying himself. 
But it says, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness, a gift from God or whatever. In the midst of all of these dark-hearted people who are rebellious towards God, God looks at Abraham and God has a plan in his sovereignty and we see it magnifying inside of the heart of Abraham, this, this relationship like this, right? And then the other commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see it in verse 15. This is a relational deal, right? The question is about how you actually treat other people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that for a second, right? Think about that. And so it says, if your brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? There's a word in Hebrew, it's zedekah, and it means this, a life of right relationships, day-to-day -day living in family and society and fairness, generosity and equity in every relationship. That's how the Bible actually describes righteousness. It's important for us to know, right? It's important for, for us to know because not that as you, and I pray you don't do this, walk away and try to grab on the idea of righteousness and try to achieve it because it won't work, right? But you do need a proper working definition of it, right? Because as God, as you hold on to Christ and the promise we have through Christ and the free gift of salvation that we've received that cost him everything but was free to us, as you hold on to that, what begins to magnify in your heart are the things that are important to God, right? And, and what those two commandments tell us is that God wants to be with you. He wants to be connected. He wants you to love him. He feels like he is the best Thing in the world for your life, right? He feels like he has it all for you, right? All the answers. He has it. He has the best life for you now. Not gifts, things, and all these other things, but he is life everlasting, right? He is eternal, the eternal promise. And then God, when he looks at the world and what's broken in it, his response to it is actually Jesus but one of the things that is perpetuated in the sanctification process is this love for your neighbor. Are y'all with me so far? Like if you think about the American church, evangelistic church and, 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 and our position on how we deal with the idea of righteousness, it is very much in this, like we're on our own square with it. By definition, it has to deal with your relationships with people. You get where I'm coming from? But we always roll it like, like you look at any meme, it's like forget them, this and that, do you, forget everybody else. We're just like blocking ourselves from everybody else. And like in it, we're making this case that we are just righteous within ourselves. That's not what God actually calls righteous in the Bible. That's not even the way he actually, it's defined. It's not how it's defined, right? It's a life of right relationships, day-to-day -day living in family and society, fairness, generosity, and equity in every relationship. That's what it looks like. It's not something that you can actually conjure up on your own. It's not, it's not in us. What's in us is doing us, right? What's in us, let me get this car right so I can roll up on somebody and hurt their feelings, right? What sin is, is, 
wait till I see everybody that used to pick on me and, and, and bully me in school. Like my life is working to make them pay for it, right? It's evening the score. But God calls evening the score, he looks at it different. He, he, he looks at this promise of Jesus, like, like what he's done through Jesus Christ and promised for eternal salvation, that he's actually won everything for us already, right? And so it's that mercy thing. It's like when we look in the scripture and it says, he says, he says, those who have been forgiven much, love much. You understand? Those who have been forgiven much, love much. They live out Zadika. It's part of just one of the, it's, it's, it's the fruit of what comes out of the gift that God has given us. But here's the thing. Paul is looking at this person right here, and he's like, something's disconnected for them. Something's actually weird. He's like, I'm questioning where your faith is if you actually can just spout out, you know, sweet nothings, but leave your brother and sister like in the cold, hungry. You understand? He's, he's saying that he's saying the faith doesn't add up. You get where I'm coming from? He's questioning the faith. He's questioning the faith. There's a lot of people that are off like this. I want to read you a story about somebody really quick. Um, this is about the philosopher uh, Rousseau. I hope I'm saying his name. Um, but he was like a big philosopher and, you know, had all these amazing books and and just a, a, an enlightened thinker is what they, you know, credit him with. But this historian Paul Johnson says some things about him. I want to read it to you. Um, he says, Rousseau was the first intellectual to repeatedly proclaim himself the friend of all mankind. Rousseau, he was a man born to love and in fact taught the, doctrine, taught the doctrine of love more persistently than most preachers. He once said of himself that whoever's exam whoever examines with his own eyes my nature, my character, morals, um, inclinations, pleasures, habits, and can believe me to be a dishonest man is himself a man who deserves to be strangled. Wow. But how did Rousseau actually relate to humanity? His father meant nothing to him but an inheritance. His only concern for his long-lost brother was to certify him dead so he could get the family money. All five of his children were unnamed and were placed immediately after birth in the hospital desk de infants. It's, I don't know. It's a beautiful word, but I can't say it. It just looks, it looks, it looks so fancy and delicious. I wish I could tell it to you so bad, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. Where two-thirds of all babies died the first year and only 14 out of every 100 lived to the age of seven. It is believed that none survived. Rousseau, the self-proclaimed lover of mankind, did not even record the dates of their births. I read this to you because his, his intellect gave him this credibility that was completely divorced from the reality of his life, right? But the problem is, is that we actually we have the same problem that he has, right? It's, it, it's, it's, it's one of the things that, you know, when the thief was on the cross, what he was essentially saying in the moment is when he said, he said, God, I, I actually deserve this, right? This is, this is a proper ending. God, have mercy on me. 
right? There's this thing where there's this admission. I'm broken. I'm, I'm, I'm broken, right? I'm broken. And, and, and what James is calling out is this thing where it just doesn't seem like this person is needy of Jesus besides the fact to actually declare that they know theology really well. You understand? I don't know if you've ever ran into people like that, but I deal with pastors and people all the time. And I'm like in the room with guys or whatever, and they will cut you to shreds with theology all day long. And then I walk away sometimes, and then when I hear some of the circumstances they're in, I like go, I don't know if this person actually like knows Jesus. I'm not the judge and ruler at all, but something feels strange. I'm just trying to be honest with you, right? I don't walk around like, you know, I'm going to just judge it, but I, sometimes it feels off. It feels off. I'm like, man, they, they, they know the book real heavy, but I don't, know if the, I don't know if what they're talking about they've actually needed. You understand? There's a difference between able to talk about Jesus Christ. We can hear all type of rhetoric about him all day and be able to spout it back, but to wake up in the morning and to actually, like, feast on the goodness of God, to, like, realize that, God, I have... I'm, I am lost in the sauce if I do not receive that you have accomplished it and finished it on my behalf. I'm lost. Because if I go to, if I go to work, if I go to work, all I'm going to get is more condemnation. I'll never be able to love enough. I'll never be able to give enough. I'll never be able to be persistent enough. I'll never be able to just kill my job enough. And don't let me mess around and actually feel like I did. Because I'm going to turn into a monster on you too. I'm in a jam either way right? Poor and contrite heart, being washed over with this goodness, bathing in the promises that we receive because of Christ or whatever, right? Knowing that it's finished on our behalf, that we are whole because he says we are, that we are justified because he says we are, right? He signed it with, 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 with the blood of his son. It's a done deal. That's the work, to believe, when they asked Jesus, what's the work, Father, for us to do? He says, the work is that you believe. You believe. You believe that I was sent for this work to free you and wash away all your sins. Right? That you believe that I am atonement for your sins. That you walk into the light. That is the work to believe the gospel. Right? There's often the disconnect. Verse 18 says this. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James says, he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you faith, my faith, by my works. He's pushing against the apathetic, nonchalant, whatever attitude based around this topic that is happening inside of their communities and in the body and is actually looking to make its way in the church and find position to deceive people, right? Come on, let's, we, 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 we had, we, we've gone through this even in the history of our church where a lot of people who were very academically sharp showed up, right? We had to learn the hard way and they actually had credibility because they were really, really sharp. Even had degrees, right? Didn't know how to love people at all. Broke people. Hurt people. Right? Injured people. Had all the credentials. But he's saying there's a different type of credential that's really, really important, right? 
It's the fruit of the Spirit. He's not talking about works. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He's talking about there is the faith that actually saved us apart from works. Has sanctification power on the back end. That's gospel. You understand? And we have to make sure we understand that from a very theologically specific point because it's not saying to actually work as a believer to prove yourself worthy to be called the believer. That's not the statement. That's the statement the enemy is going to play with. What he's saying is if you are actually, and I'm going to read the verse, if you're actually connected to the vine, you bear fruit. You understand? I'm going to jump to it right now. Go ahead and read. I got you. This is John 15, 1 through 6. It says, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruit. Sanctifying us. He's taking care of us. Putting us in situations and circumstances and, and helping us, right? Bringing stuff to us or whatever that sometimes may be convicting, but he's, he's drawing us to, to, to lean on him more. When you prune a tree... When you prune a tree, it pulls more from the base of that tree, right? It pulls on the trunk more, and it helps it actually grow. It says, verse 3 says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Do you hear that right there? Right? This is important. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So he's talking about this intentional process that the Father is actually taking care of us and looking to actually move us, grow us, sanctify us. But he's also giving us very, very sweet, beautiful reminder, mega bomb right in the middle of it. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It's like this right here. It's like getting your car ready to go into a race that you already know you won. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Like he's saying, you're already clean. So like when we read stuff, whatever that sounds like imperatives inside of the scripture, and it's, and it's actually making light of truth to us, it's not, it, it, it's, it's not supposed to condemn us. That's why he makes this statement. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You actually get to have relationship with Christ, right? You get to have relationship with Christ. You get to actually grow more in, 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 in fellowship with the Father, right? And know you're clean, right? Like you ever like come before the Lord and you maybe feel down and you start to praying, you get to praying and before God, and by the time you get to the end of it, you're just in this place like you're in awe of God because you're like, you can't believe that you actually get to be here with him right now. You ever like feel, you ever get in a sweet spot like that and you're like, God, I can't believe I'm actually allowed to even be here. And, and it's not that you're like, and, and, it's, and it's, it's not this false like, you know, self-righteous thing, but it's like, I can't believe that Jesus, like, paid the price for me, and I actually get to be in proximity with you, right? That, like, I get to actually walk in the room, like, clean. Like, that's how you look at me right now. That's one of the promises, that's one of the things that has, has been, I've been blessed with, that I don't have to wear the weight of all my failures, all the marks I didn't meet up to, 
all the conversations I have where I actually probably jack the conversation up. All the different things that run to my mind, like, oh my God, I forgot to do that, I forgot to do that, I forgot to do that. And Satan is just like, look at you, you never do, you, and always in your brain. But it's like, God, thank you. This race has already been won. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all can say something, come on now. I'm gonna have to get somebody on the organ or whatever up in here. Y'all need some fans, that's what you need. You need a fan, you be like, when you hot, somebody hit the, hit the air off. When you hot, you be like, mm-hmm. Like, you know, you just, you don't even mean to. You don't even mean to. It just start happening, you know? It's like, oh, my Lord, you know? But he's pushing against that, right? And verse 19 says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe in shudder. He is, he's lashing out at theological arrogance or the idea that what a person knows would make them righteous, right? Just because you know it doesn't mean it's landed. We can know anything, right? We can know all about flying a plane. Doesn't mean you can actually fly a plane, right? You can know all about Jesus. You can know about all about, about uh, theology and every single dynamic that goes into theology, and believe me, so many people do, and still completely miss it. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's like, that's not special. It says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that, that faith apart from works is useless? He's making this point because we read all through the text. This is an important conversation for the people of God to have because Paul, we see it all through the Bible. We see it with Jesus when he's talking to the Pharisees. He is constantly warning his people like, yo, keep you, you know, these suckers going to try to creep in on you. Watch them. Watch them. And he, and he keeps saying, he's like, you're going to know them by their fruit, right? You're going to know them by their fruit. We, hear, we see the term gospel peddlers, people with a form of godliness but denying Jesus, right? We can do a whole bunch of really godly works that are absolutely amazing, and they could be a million miles away from being connected to Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, they, could, they could end up being the complete anti-gospel. It's one of the reasons it says that people are going to show up, and they said, Lord, Lord. We did this in your name. We healed people. We did all of the church stuff that everybody always talks about. We were killing it. And he's like, depart from me. I don't know you. They're going to fall into one of these categories. They're going to be gospel peddlers. Maybe they, they thought God was a means for financial gain. Maybe they need to scratch an academic itch and lord that knowledge over people. Maybe it was about control for them. Huh? Paul talks about super apostles. They showed up all flashy on everybody, and they're like, Paul's all scarred up. Like, what? You want to follow a God who leaves you all high and dry and jacked up? He's about broken to pieces. Look at us. We got brand new horses out here, whatever. You don't see the, the wagon with the 24s on it? We're killing it out here. You hear what I'm saying? Look at my chariot. They're flossing. Super apostles. Then there's the Pharisees. They're just ultimately hypocrites. They had all of the works, all of them. God called them, called them whitewashed tombs. So you speak death. You spew death. You spew out the anti-gospel. 
you set up lines for people to keep jumping over and jump over and jump over, and you got them working, and you never pointed them to my son. You just keep pointing them to their self. And then you prop yourself as one of the ones who have earned it and walk around like everybody else, like, like they're the fake thing, right? But James is telling us, he says, faith apart from works is useless, just as works apart from faith are useless. And so the dynamic of this whole text is so weird. Like there's such a specific line you have to walk in with it because the statements are so blatant and clear. We are talking about works, but we're actually talking about faith. That's the original question that I want to bring you to as I begin to close. Can that faith save him? Is that the kind of faith? Is that the kind of faith that saved the thief on the cross? Is it the kind of faith that we have nothing to contribute to? Right? Because the faith, like when we, when we grasp when we when God brings us in in, in in like when we understand the gospel and we understand that we have nothing to add through this when he finds us at the bottom people always make a joke about people being locked in jail and everything else and like in jail conversions or whatever like oh he got saved because they went to jail yeah the gospel gets real evident when you get yourself out of the way and you have nowhere to go it just is what it is Often the bottom is where we find our, where, we, where, the, where we're the most attentive and the Holy Spirit seems to move in on people. It's not a psychology game. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's God's mercy and goodness. The world is short-tempered where we go. We, we even have that, that, the, the rhetoric of mocking that because we actually think we're better than that. And we don't have that kind of patience. But God is, God, God is so, so loving that he will literally wait for you to hit this spot. And when nobody's there, he'll be like, I'm still here. I'm still here. This, oh, oh, you feel like you're the lowest of the low? You feel like you're the worst of them all? You're in that place where you're so low, you thought you would never be this low? Oh, you didn't know my grace and my mercy runs that deep? It does. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. It's sufficient, right? So, Lord, how do we take this scripture and make sure we understand? He's not talking about the works. He's talking about the faith, right? He's talking about the faith. He's talking about, he's talking about, He's talking about the, the, the guy locked in jail who got forgiven the huge debt. And as soon as he gets let out, he runs out and he throws somebody in jail for a little smidgen of money they owe him, right? What's really in question in that, in that, in that story, he didn't get what happened when he was set free. You, you get where I'm coming from? He, 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 he missed mercy. He missed the grace, right? Last week, Tony ended his, his verse in, in, in uh, 
in, in James 2, verse 12, he said, So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Galatians 5.13 says this. It says, for you were called to freedom. And this is one of the best explanations for the law of liberty. What does it say in this text? What is that talking about? It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James is saying it's unreasonable that we would receive the free gift of salvation, right? It's free for us, extremely expensive for Christ, right? Cost is life. That's what that, and this, this isn't just a regular life. This is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Come off of the throne, take on our reproach and the disdain we have as humans. This freedom does not push us into lawlessness, right? It doesn't push us into lawlessness. It doesn't make us go, the thief on the cross, it would be unreasonable for him to come off and be like, man, I'm back to thugging and getting it. Let's get it, right? It would be crazy for him to think that. And that's where, that, that's where the question is. That's where the question is. This doesn't add up to what like Jesus did on the cross. It's not that you're earning it, because it's a free gift. but there's sanctification that happens. Our heart position begins to change, right? And so if somebody's warned against that, James is saying we have questions to ask. Believers are forgiven and we're set free from condemnation because of what Jesus did on the cross. But we get to live in that freedom. Paul, James, excuse me, Paul is asked, does that freedom produce lawlessness? And he says, no. James says, no, also. He says, if it does, it's something weird going on there. I'm not saying we don't have bad days, but he's saying there's something weird going there. He's saying that the branch is actually becoming disconnected from the vine, right? And thank God, God's mercy and grace is all inside of John 15. I'm going to read this one more time to you, and then we're going to go ahead and close. John, I, I, need, I need you to hear this really well. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I don't know what the enemy is going to try to do to you after this scripture today. But hold on to that one. Already, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, right? If he, is, if he has saved you, right? If he has saved you, you are already be clean, or you are already clean because of the word that was spoken to you, right? That's number one. So smack the enemy right in the face with that one when he starts, you know, with the I know what you did last summer deal. And then this is your next application, right? When you go home with this, I don't know what the enemy's going to do with you. I don't know what kind of weight he's going to try to put on you, try to make you feel bad, but it's in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I don't care if you forget every single thing that I preach. Don't forget that. Right? Don't forget that one. Because if you come, become disconnected, if you stop finding your joy, and your relief, and your hope, 
in Christ, it's all for nothing anyway, right? You're just treading water. You're just working and doing works that they may be cute to somebody else, but they, they, they don't feed you with Jesus, right? Our strength. Number five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Let us pray really quick. Y'all stand. We're going to worship some more, but I want to pray us out really fast. God, I thank you, Father Lord. I thank you that we read this scripture. And you tell us that whoever abides in you, you abide in us, and that we bear much fruit in doing that. I thank you, Father Lord, that we don't have to go and work and try to kill it and try to prove our worthiness, try to prove our righteousness. Um, But, Father, we get to actually rest in you. God, I pray if there's people in this room tonight and they are, like, exhausted, with trying to meet a mark, with trying to get through all of the noise of Facebook and everything, everything else in the world and people's philosophies and ideas and like, and, and everybody's just trying to find it. But Lord, when we look in the word, it says that you found it for us. You found it for us despite us. You paid the price, you paid the admission fee You covered everything. Everything is covered and taken care of for us. All we have to do is receive. All we have to do is receive, Father. So, Father, Lord, there's people in this room right now that I believe that you're actually messing with their heart right now, that Holy Spirit is actually touching them right now. And maybe they're asking questions and they're going through all type of stuff. I pray even in that moment that they would find rest in you. that they would find rest in you, Father, Lord, that we would find rest in you, that we would calm our busy hearts and our anxiousness, Father, Lord. You said they labor in vain if, they don't, if we don't trust you to build a house, Father. We need that for our personal homes as a church community, Father, Lord. We have ideas and missions and visions and all type of things we're committed to, but God, help us to not get cute and run in front of you. Help us not fall into the trap of thinking we could work it all out ourselves, Father, Lord. Keep us poor in spirit before you and rich in Jesus, Lord. Father, we just praise you, Father. We thank you this morning. We thank you for the community that you've given us. We thank you for the hard things we find ourselves in that make us weak and make make us need you more. I thank you, Father, Lord, that your faithful commitment to us, Father Lord, is that you actually prune um, our branches, Father. You, pr- you, you, prune them, you prune us as branches, Father Lord, to see us grow like you, you care. You care. You sanctify us. You draw us deeper into you, Father Lord. So we just praise you. We thank you for that. Pray that you would just be with us in our worship right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, listen, we're about to take communion right now. Um, I always try to tell people this. I miss it sometimes, some Sundays, but like communion is something that's a really special time for our church, right? And communion is only reserved for people who are believers. And if you're here and you're visiting and you're like, hey, I want to take communion, I would love for you to actually take communion. But I want to make sure I'm transparent with you. 
um, the Bible says that the communion table, that, it, that, that the, the, it represents the blood of Jesus, it represents the body of Jesus, that it was actually broken for us, right? It brings us to this place where like we realize that there was something extremely expensive done on our behalf to bring us and reconcile us back in the relationship with the Father, right? It's done by Jesus Christ. And this is a way that as a family, we all, we all say salute. We cherish what has happened on our behalf. But the Bible actually says that if you're not a believer, that you shouldn't drink from the table. And so I don't think it would be loving if we didn't actually warn you of that. But our prayer is that, that you would be willing to uh, drink from the table as a person who is saying, God, I feel like you're calling me to follow you. And so if, if you feel like the Lord is like, doing any kind of work in your heart right now, stirring you in any type of way, even if you just have questions. When we do communion, there'll be somebody up in the front. You can come up here and we'll pray with you and talk to you if you just have questions and however long that takes, all right? So we love you. Thank you, y'all.